This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hey, everybody, it's Kyle. I want to let you know that after this episode, we will be taking a quick break but we will return triumphantly in 2021 with more episodes, more 10 questions, more contestants, all the stuff you've loved. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please follow and we'll see you in 2021. This podcast is scheduled for 10 questions. Fighting out of New York, standing at 5 feet 11 inches tall and wearing the red, white, and blue trucks presenting Kyle Pratt. Thank you, Bruce, as always. It's great to hear your voice. And thank you for everyone listening and watching. Welcome back to another episode of 10 Questions. It's going to be a really, really good one. If you've never listened before, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, here's how it works. It is not just a conversation. It's a competition. Everybody leaves with a score, including today's contestant. Let's just get right into it. Today's contestant is an old friend. I've known this contestant for a long time, and I really respect that she's showing up today because nobody wants to be in the episode following Scott Stapp from Creed. Nobody. It's like going after Vince Carter in the dunk contest. Someone has to do it. And it is this individual who I've known for a long time. She has fans. She has critics. She has a husband. She has 50 jobs, writes for The Atlantic, hosts Jamel Hill is Unbothered on Spotify. And now she's got Carrie and Jamel won't stick to sports, airing Thursday on Vice. And finally, she's the first 10 questions contestant to ever appear on the original version. I used to have like a cable access deal. It was called 20 questions. And she came on. She got a 13 out of 20. Let's see if she can improve upon it today. Longest intro in show history. Ladies and gentlemen, Jamel Hill. Man, KB, <laughs> I'm so glad to be back because after that performance on the other iteration of the question game or 20 questions as it was then, I, I that loss has stuck with me a long time. <laughs> like it's just been sitting deep in my gut. Like one day, one day I'll get to redeem myself. And of course, you don't do me any favors by having me follow Scott Stop because I saw that episode and I was like, goodness, how could you do this to me? Somebody's got to do it. But I, right. I, I don't I don't envy you. It's it's a tough spot to be in. It, I'm not joking. 2016, I had this rinky dink little thing called 20 questions, which seems like it must have lasted four hours. Jamel Hill and I had so much fun. I remember one of the questions. I remember we were talking about coming to America. And I said, can you spell the first name of the actor Eric LaSalle? And you, do you, can you still do it? Spell his name. Yes, it's E-R-I-Q. Exactly. E-R-I-Q. Right. She got it. We have all kinds of fun today like that, Jamel. You know the deal. There's 10 questions now. Five Ooh, years from now, God. you'll come on my question. Five questions with Kyle Brandt. But right now, <laughs> it's just a 10. Each question is worth one point. The questions are strange. They're eccentric. You know the deal. Somehow, though, they're related to your life or your career, and I'll get it there. If you get the answer right, you're going to hear this glorious sound. Okay, so we've got Perfect. a bunch of those. 
If you get the answer wrong, you're gonna have to hear this. And there's one thing, you got, you got a little trick you can pull out. You, at one point during the 10 questions, Jamel, you get a 50-50, which means it's a coin toss, really. It's what we call it. If you have no clue, call for the coin toss. I will give you two options. I just think before we start, let's give you and the listener a little context about some scores that have come before this, before we get to question one. Here's some other friends, contestants who have come on 10 questions that Jamel is going to try to beat today. Roll it. I'm Aaron Rodgers, and I got six out of ten. Yo, 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 McConaughey here. I just got my seven out of ten. Hey, I'm Aaron Andrews. I got a five out of ten. Hey, I'm Steve Smith, senior, and I got my ass kicked, and I got three out of ten. I'm Joel McHale, and I got an eight out of ten because I have not seen the movie Stuck on You. These are all true. Jamel, you hear those voices. What do you think? Um, so I'm immediately wondering, has there been anybody in the history of this show that has gotten 10 out of 10 no we have two eights and it's Patton oswald and joel McHale. they're the high okay. contestants at eight and then steve smith senior for the first time in his life got his ass kicked as he put it and got a three out of ten not pleased about it but the question is what's jamel hill gonna get here we go 10 questions question number one can't score a 10 out of 10 unless you get a one out of one first jamel your category is television can you finish this iconic intro line? I'm Barbara Walters, and this is... 2020. She says 2020, and she's right! I'm Barbara Walters, and this is... Right off the bat. All right, Jamal, that's one point. You did not Ooh. get shut out. Barbara Walters, this is 2020. This is why I ask. It's been said many times, deservedly so, that it's the worst year Ever, maybe the worst year in human history, 2020. But I want you to help me with something. Year's almost over. Can we think of some things that have absolutely kicked ass about 2020 that have just been great? What comes to mind for you? Versus the versus battles. I mean, that really was an ingenious thing to do. Um, you know, started by Swiss Beats and Timbaland. They got together a lot of recording artists because one of the things that we're not able to do in this pandemic is go to concerts. And so that music experience has changed so dramatically. So I thought Versus is one of the best things that came out of, of 2020. Seeing uh, Gladys Knight go against Patti LaBelle, mm. the recent one they did, uh, Gucci Mane um, going against Jeezy. I mean, they really tapped into uh, nostalgia and artists that I grew up listening to and or have loved for a long time. So I love it. I, I hope that sticks around even once there's a vaccine and, and once some of this is over. I'm going to hit it right back at you versus battle. It, you, it, now it's, in, it's on my side of the tennis net. I'm going to say uh, ocean spray guy on the skateboard. Uh, Unbelievable. As the kids say, a whole mood spiked cranberry juice. That's 2020. Back at you, Hill. What else was good about this year? Uh, I think another thing that was good about this year is that I saw so many people, so many creatives, um, you know, doing things a different way, like the Zoom calls where you had um, different actors and directors uh, like redoing old television yeah. shows like that was tremendous. Like when they redid, I think they did the Golden Girls with like an all black yeah. cast and they've done different things like that. So uh, it feels like some of um, the nostalgia was like a really big hit this year. And so I, I enjoyed those things. It seems, I mean, I guess because a lot of us are at home and between Zoom and IG Live, I think we've gotten a little bit more access to people than we normally would have. All right, Jamel, you led me there. This is how you got to be quick on your feet in this show. Tell me right now, who's your girl of the Golden Girls? Who is your girl? Who you got? <laughs> you know what? I think my girl is actually Dorothy. Because, Ooh, okay. uh, yeah, Dorothy, uh, her, Dorothy is the queen of shade, right? Because <laughs> she is, even though Sophia, Sophia is a different level of shade. That's not even right. shade. She just straight up says it. But Dorothy was always kind of the voice of reason. And she will shade pretty much any person on the show. <laughs> like, they just can't, they can't do nothing with her. So, like, Dorothy, Dorothy had all the clapbacks. So, I, I love her. Dry as a bone, just ice cold on Blanche on Rose, on everybody. When Blanche yeah. is talking about, I'm going to go get me a sailor, Dorothy just hammers her. I think that's the right answer. There's a reason why. We can keep going uh, and talk about things great in 2020. I also fell in love with bidets this year. Jamel, really? I'm just going to get really personal. Really personal. You ever take a ride on a bidet? It's unbelievable. I'd never done it. It is great. It is oh great. Oh, my um, God. 
it, it, at uh, the probably the the most collection of like great bidets I've experienced was when me and my husband went on our honeymoon last year. Um, so yeah, we because we went to we went to Kenya, we went to Dubai, and we went to the Maldives. Let me tell you, man, some of the that bidet game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're strong in Dubai. <laughs> strong. Okay. <laughs> Very strong. Oh, you stayed at God. the Versace Hotel, like strong bidet game. <laughs> okay. Strong. But every, if anybody, you know, sometimes you go to like the Champagne District for the Champagne or like Napa for the wine. Go to Dubai for their bidet game. <laughs> Apparently, they got the right stream, the right pressure. And I knew we had the right contestant today. Jamel, let's move on. And before we do, let me just say thank you for being a friend. One out of one. One point. You're already, you're already two points away from Steve Smith. Question number two. Your category is Irish actors. Oh, category crap. of okay. Irish actors. Jamel, Michael Fassbender played the role of Stelios in what movie? Stelios. Oh, Stelios. All right. Of course, I remember him as Magneto. Um, of course. And he was in 12 Years a Slave. Not, yeah, it was 12 Years a Slave. He was, yeah. Uh, crap. Now, you have the 50 50. Yeah, it's give me a 50 You're going to burn it. All right, I love it. I love it. Be, Don't yeah. keep it in your pocket. Michael Fassbender played the role of Stelios in what movie? Is it Immortals or 300? Uh, Immortals. She says Immortals. Is that right? Not right, Jamal. He's in three hundred. Three hundred. Are you serious? Do you remember Fastbender in three hundred? I don't. I don't. Okay. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, though. So, and I really feel embarrassed because, as a Michigan State grad, you know they use the whole "this is Sparta." Like now, I feel really embarrassed. Thanks, embarrassed, Kyle. but smart because I told you they all have to do with your life. So we're talking Spartans. You're right. That's oh, why I bring it up. I was like, Immortals. Like I don't remember him in, in three hundred. No, he's oh, the, he's I'm, the one who says. Um, when the the other army's like, our arrows will block out the sun. And Fastbender goes, then we will fight in the shade. And everyone Ooh. just falls in love with him. That's Fastbender. All right. Here's right, what I asked I you, though. That. All right. You love, I mean, there's a lot of people in the media who just are all about their alma mater. You love Michigan State. And I, I, mm-hmm. I've, I've known that about you for a long time. And I think it's contagious. It kind of makes me love Michigan State. I'm going to put that to a test. You have to quarantine. Let's say this thing. All this shit going on in the world just takes a huge turn, and they say, everybody stay in your house for six months, you're going to be arrested. Three all-time Michigan State Spartans will be quarantined in your home with you. It's you, and it's the three of them. Who's in your house? Who you got? So can they, can they just be grads, or should they be sports figures? Whatever you want, Jamel. It's your house. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to pick James Kahn, who's a Michigan James State grad. James Kahn is a Michigan great. State grad, right? Like, okay. Uh, I'll pick him, um, uh, Magic, so I can continue to beat his ass at cards again. No, hold and, on. Let me stop you there. You play cards against Magic? Oh, whooped him. What game? Yeah. We played spades uh, at the Rose Bowl that uh, when Michigan State was in the Rose Bowl a few years ago. It was me and uh, my college roommate, um, one of my best friends, uh, me and her, Kelly, against him and his brother. Shameful how we did Magic Johnson. <laughs> I was like, you might be the greatest point guard in history, <laughs> but you ain't the greatest space player. And I was oh just talking gosh. mad trash to Magic. He still, he remembers his loss. Trust, trust me, that L was memorable. <laughs> you were like the Larry Bird of space to him, just destroying him. Yeah, oh, so I was incredible. taking him back to a, a time where he actually lost. So he he took one um, there. So I'd say James Kahn, uh, Magic Johnson, and... You know, man, it's it's tough because I want to say Mateen Cleaves. Uh huh. I, I think it'd be I think it'd be Mateen. You know, so right. it'd be pretty national funny. champ. Yep. Can I throw out some suggestions? Uh, Drew Neitzel, just because I feel like he was there for thirty years. <laughs> Drew's a good dude. I mean, it's it's so I could have picked plaques. I could have picked like but a ton of people I could have picked. But uh, Scott um, Skiles, I, you ever meet Scott? Scott Skiles, I had I have met Scott Skiles. Um, he might get a little too rowdy in the house. All right, mm-hmm. so <laughs> we we try to keep it contained. Um, and Mateen, though, see, he has stories though. Like you get him What's going on the stories, and he and he will entertain you. So does Magic. So we mm-hmm. need like a little bit of entertainment. Need some car playing, you know, James Conn, I'm sure he has stories. Need maybe him to reenact being uh my man Sonny and the Godfather. So we <laughs> we'll need some entertainment. So that that's my house. 
Don't sleep on James Caan in the program either. I love him in oh, that movie. Latimer's coach. Movie. Yes, he is. <laughs> so Jimmy Caan, Magic Johnson, and Mateen Cleaves and Jamel Hill sitting around playing spades and watching The Godfather. <laughs> That's not a bad hang. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Question number three, Jamel. Category. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Social media is your category. Ah, I'm familiar. What social media platform was named when its founder scanned the dictionary and found a word that he liked? Now, Jamel has used the the coin toss and used it on one she didn't get right, which always burns. So social media platform, the guy founded it. And he needed a name, and he was scanning through the dictionary looking for things, and he came across this word that's the name of the platform, and he picked it. All right. Because this is related to me, I'm just going to say Twitter. I'm going with Twitter. You don't want to plug your Tumblr account, Jamel? It's Is it Twitter? <laughs> yeah! I was like, yeah. I'm not on Tumblr. I'm not on... Yeah. I was like, I'm only on three things, so... Right. <laughs> like, Please follow Jamel that. Hill on Pinterest and uh, <laughs> Tumblr and... Uh, what was the uh, what was the Mark Cuban one like Sparkle Dust or something like yeah. that? <laughs> exactly. I was like, I don't have a MySpace anymore. Like, I'm good. <laughs> if we could go back and uh, in the time machine or Tarantino style or anything, do you think that we should uninvent Twitter and social media? No. And as much as I, I realize that the negatives and the drawbacks, me, me more than anybody, like <laughs> what it what it can be, but I do think that there are a lot of positives that have come out of Twitter. Like there's nothing like a big sporting event, uh, an award show, the Mike Tyson, Roy Jones fight where Twitter is truly at its best. And so I would take some of those moments and even how Twitter was back in like 08, 09, it was like really fun and kind of more unhinged, but like in more of a fun way where people didn't get outraged so easily or take themselves so seriously. So I would take those moments over the other ones where we where we look at it and say, oh, my God, the stupid people have won today. So I, w- I wouldn't uninvent Twitter. I would uninvent Facebook, though. Tell me more. Totally- Tell me more. Let's get in. My Aunt Patty yeah, is going to hate I, this. But go ahead. And you know what? All, all due respect to is it Aunt Peggy or Aunt Patty? Aunt Patty. OK. All due respect to Aunt Patty is like that is the, you know, all those relatives that you had that when you had those discussions at the dinner table yeah. where they were in politic, politically incorrect, said all things. See, now they have a vessel, right? Now, now they have a place where they can take all of that. And it's just it's a it's a rough environment. Of course, you know, not that Twitter is perfect when it comes to spreading disinformation as a journalist. I think face, Facebook is especially mm-hmm. abhorrent. And so. That's when you find out what your high school friends, what they were really thinking. You find out the political views of your third cousin. You're like, I'm not trying to be exposed to all that. At least with Twitter, your family's not on Twitter. Not like that. Right. But on Facebook, totally different deal. I, I haven't been on Facebook in years because for me, it was great to show up and just look up your old high school and college girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever. Like, oh, what are they doing? How are they looking? They got kids. And then I did that. And then I'm like, what the hell else am I doing here? All I want to see is what they look like. And then I pieced out. But are you still are you still on Facebook? I, t- I do still have a Facebook uh, page. And a lot of it is that is like a lot of my friends from college and high school back in Michigan, people I know, it is an easier way to connect. And, uh, you know, I, I have like a general, I guess they call it a fan page. So that there's it's an easy way to share uh, a lot of the things that I'm doing. And as writers, we know this is that all the social platforms what you share about like what you write or when you're on TV, the response is different on Facebook. It's actually a great place for writers because people share those articles and they build a community of conversation around it with Twitter. It's like come and go. Instagram's not really built for that. So with Facebook's with Facebook, it's actual conversations, but that's the problem with Facebook is actual conversations. But in terms of sharing my work, it's been very beneficial. So Jamel, you get in the DeLorean and you go back and you're going to go to the campus of Harvard university and you're going to find Zuckerberg and he's going to be hanging out with uh, the the kid who played Spider-Man and he's sitting there having lunch. You got five minutes with him. Like just what is your message to him? What to, to uh, get him to make this sure this never happens? Yeah. My, my message to him is that uh, I know that there's a, a obscene amount of money that you're about to make, <laughs> but you got to be about something, man. Like you can't the what disinformation and what misinformation and and really, truly fake stories have done 
to our um, the way that we process information is really dangerous. And you see very easily when you read about regimes falling, how the propaganda was a big part of that. And Facebook, when it's all said and done, I mean, I'm sure that Mark Zuckerberg would have wanted to leave a better, better legacy than this. It's like it's about how you will be remembered and you don't want to be the guy remembered as somebody who played a pretty significant role in trying to dismantle our dis- democracy. So that's what I would say to him. I don't think you want to go down as the evil genius. Like, nah, <laughs> that's that's not a good look. It's not. And we are on a question for Jamel. You're two out of three. This is a really fun category. And some contestants like it. Some love it. You're going to be into this. Category number four is name the movie. I'm going to play a clip from a movie. I have a Ooh. feeling you've seen it. You, you're great on movies. All you do is you're going to listen to it. It's short. It's only about 10 seconds. And all you need to do is name the movie that you are about to hear. Jamel Hill, name the movie. Excuse me, where's the lobby? Down the hall and to the left. Thanks. What do you think? Ooh, I got to guess. Hopefully I'm right because the voice sounds very familiar. Uh, I think this is Home Alone Christmas. I think that's what this is. Because that sounded like Macaulay Culkin. And it is about to be, you know, it's the Christmas season now officially. So I'm going to go All with right, that. There were two voices. One of them sounded like Macaulay Culkin. Did you, did, were there any sparks of recognition on the other voice? Mm. All right. Now you don't have to play, play it for me again. All right, all right, <laughs> I, I love this. I love this. Show. Okay. Let's play it again. I want you to listen very closely. Play the clip for Jamel from the movie. Excuse me, where's the lobby? Down the hall and to the left. Thanks. What do you got? That voice sounds familiar too. I have to be honest, I haven't, I, I can't tell you the last time I saw Home Alone Christmas. Like, or Home Alone 2. Oh wait, it's Donald Trump. That's who it is. That's related to me. Oh, it's definitely Home Alone 2 because he was in it. She says Home Alone 2 lost in New York. Is she right? She's right. Oh, my gosh. If anybody is listening to this and not watching on YouTube, you are missing this beautiful moment of realization for Jamel where she lit up and her whole facial expression changed. And it was the light bulb. And you got it. You are right. It's You know what's amazing to me? You identified Macaulay Culkin's voice before Donald Trump's. And that's him in Home Alone 2 in the lobby of the plaza. Uh, that's an incredible moment that happened. How do you feel about getting that answer right? You got it. Man, I feel overjoyed <laughs> because uh, I not only got it right, but I'm now, I've now equaled Steve Smith, right? Yes, you're three out of four. So I, I, I'm three out of four. So I, I got to get one more right at least so that I don't go out like Steve Smith Sr. <laughs> All right. Before we do, Jamel, the date, October 10th, 2017 at 6.42 a.m. The president of the United States of America tweeted, with Jamel Hill at the mic, it is no wonder ESPN ratings have tanked. In fact, tanked so badly, it is the talk of the industry, exclamation point. Take me through that moment and that day and how you found out about this. What is that like? So I found out about it because a friend of mine, uh, Stuart, he's a news anchor in Orlando. He was, my phone was going off. It was early in the morning and um, it, it was buzzing so frequently that I was just like, what's going on? And I looked and I had already like 30 or 40 something text messages. And yeah. that's quite unusual for that time in the morning. And so he was the one he was, his text was the first one I opened. He was like, oh my God, the president just tweeted about you. And I was like, what? So I go to Twitter, I see the tweet and, uh, it was my first reaction is I bust out laughing because I was just like, I cannot believe that th- this dude doesn't have anything better to do than to worry about the ramblings or the opinions of a sports center anchor at the time. And so I was amused. I was also impressed that he got my name right, that he spelled it correct. Cause I would not have put money on him getting it right. Right. So, so many people in regular life don't get it right. So, and he's mm-hmm. not the best at grammar. So it just seemed like, Oh, okay. And he actually got it right. Um, and then, you know, sort of my third reaction after that was, um, you know, being amused. I mean, here's the thing when you and I realize in sports, sports is not, say, covering politics or even covering hard news. But when you get in journalism, period, it is the the idea that you latch on to the um, sort of the ethos of this profession is to 
comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. The whole point of journalism is to hold systems and people in power in check and to hold them accountable and to remind them of their hypocrisies. That's the whole point of it, right? And so most reporters that I know in the business, they live for the day that City Hall comes after them. And so I took it as more of a of a badge of honor than I did really having, you know, I didn't have any hurt feelings about it. I thought it was kind of interesting. And plus, he's now the second straight president that knows who I am. So there's that, right? Not a lot of people could say that, I guess. Um, but yeah, and then, of course, as a as a thought, in addition to all of those was immediately worrying about how this was going to affect my job, because as much as I may have had those other reactions, ESPN was having a completely different reaction to this because this was a story they desperately wanted to go away. And now that the president has chimed in, it has taken it to an even higher level that they didn't want to see happen. Um, so there was that part of it. And, you know, I, I also, frankly, was very disappointed that ESPN did not respond and did not say something because even though I know we were in a a period of a of a tense sort of relationship the other thing that I've seen happen throughout my career is that when city hall comes after your reporters and your journalists um you're supposed to stick up for them and so when they didn't do that it was it was really hurtful so um they just kind of let it happen and I just had to just deal with all the backlash and the fallout and the death threats and all these other things. And so, yeah, it was, it was a number of reactions, but even to this day, I I still can't believe it happened. And I don't know if they are going to create a presidential library off his tweets, but if they do, I'm like, Holy crap, I could be in the presidential library for that. That's pretty interesting. It will be. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. And the, you have the amusement and the, the sort of the shock when you see it, but you mentioned the backlash. Um, and you also mentioned you were worried about your job. Were you not also worried about your safety at some point? Because I know it got really ugly. Yes, I was worried about my safety um, because some of the the threats that had come in, you know, they were people were threatening me over email. They were calling my voicemail at work. In fact, I had to have ESPN security. Um, I had to have them escort me to I went to a Monday night football game with he was then my boyfriend and his father. Um, he's now my husband. Like I, I had to have security escort because I just. I didn't know if, you know, you you just can't take your chances. And I just, I didn't, I wasn't, looking at what I was getting in the mail and what people were leaving, it, it sort of seemed like, you know, somebody's might feel a little too courageous and say something to me. And so that was the first time I've ever really been concerned about my physical safety. And unfortunately, it didn't stop in 2017. It was a continual thing. I mean, I just got a, a death threat. Um, probably about three weeks ago. And uh, the FBI actually contacted me about it because it was, you know, something that they were very concerned about. Somebody had sent some powder that was supposed to be imitating anthrax and they sent it to an old address that I had in, in Connecticut. And so that's how they became aware because I think the post office flagged it. And so it's still something that I'm dealing with based off all the events of 2017. And, um, so yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been an unfortunate reality. That's that's probably the biggest change that it and disruption all of that made to my life is that it made me much more aware of like my surroundings and how I operate. I had to kind of change up some things. Um and even, you know, like when me and my husband bought a house this year, I mean, we had to really think about cuz those are, you know, public deeds. We had to yeah. do some maneuvering so that people could not figure out where I actually lived. You know, Jamel, when you and I met years ago, you were working for ESPN and you would come on a TV show and you'd write your columns and you had a great career and it was ascending and it was doing really well. And, and you've diverted a lot into different paths and doing different things. And those paths have led you to deal with that type of shit, which I will refer to it as because it is mm -hmm. shit. You know, your new show is called Carrie and Jamel Won't Stick to Sports. Do you ever have a moment where you wish you just had stuck to sports? Not because you're being told to. Mm -hmm. Because right now, you know what you'd be doing? You'd be sitting around writing a column about how great Patrick Mahomes is and no one would be threatening you and no one would be sending you Fugazi <laughs> anthrax. Like it would be a lot simpler and even a lot safer. Do you ever look back at it that way? You're the first person to ever ask me that. And I would say, no, I, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, despite the threats, despite some other disruptions that have occurred in not just my life, but of that in my family's. You know, my mother told me a story about 
how um she uh, her and her friends they have like a prayer line where they pray and somebody broke into the prayer line and like i guess started going off on her about being my mother like i don't know oh, shit. Uh, so it was like a whole thing and i was just like wait but the prayer line like <laughs> it's, like that's that's what we're doing now okay Do the respectable right. thing and confront me in a parking lot and then yeah, right. leave the prayer line alone there's a prayer time. line out of this and so that was wild but um even with those disruptions, I still wouldn't change anything because, you know, the, the one of the reasons I got in, into sports is I love competition. I love writing about athletes and teams and not, that sort of thing. I love the normal things that people love about sports. I, I love storytelling, but I love the fact that journalism offers you an, a chance to really chronicle history. And so I wouldn't a discomfort that I feel over these other things. I I wouldn't change that because it gave me an opportunity to, you know, write about Colin Kaepernick and to discuss Colin Kaepernick in that moment and just everything that we've seen from uh, athletes this year alone. I mean, to be able to write about them kind of really seizing their power and using their voices and trying to create a different kind of conversation than we've had in this country around race and equity and all these other things. You know, that's the beauty of sports is that it's the one thing we actually do together. So the conversations in sports about these issues are inherently different than they are when we try to have them in other sectors of our society because we're so segregated. But sports forces us to jam together and to be together. You know, you could be from totally different economic backgrounds, but if you're both Laker fans, you might be willing to hear LeBron James talk about voter suppression. So I wouldn't trade that because, you know, I think these moments are just too important um, and it's the messiness in sports that I think makes it fun. And so our show on Vice is about attacking that messiness and seeing what's happening in the NFL and COVID and college football and and digging into stuff. Because sports is just a, a mirror. You know, I know people like to pretend that sports is happening in some other place where everything's magical, but that's not true at all. It's like it's a, truly a reflection of all the things and all the problems and all the adversities that we have in society. And I I couldn't imagine my life not writing and commentating about those things. Last question and we'll move on. You mentioned the word journalism. You're a journalist at heart. Let me give you a hypothetical. Nine months from now, Donald Trump is is out of the White House and he has an entirely new PR strategy. He has gotten with (laughs) different people and he is recrafting his, his, his brand, his image. He comes to you and Carrie and says, I'd like to come on the show and I'd like to come and sit down for 20, 30 minute interview. Would you be into it? And what would you open with? Oh, I'd take that any day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the president, any, anytime you land a interview with the president, it's a big deal. Trump does propose a different problem because he has, he lies throughout the interview. And so you wind up having to be fact checker, yeah. you know, as you're trying to ask him questions and get information that people will want to know. Um, but I think, it, you know, what I would would ask him is that does he realize the damage that he's done, you know, to our democracy and to people's lives? Like what like how do you reconcile that? Like some of these things, you know, I mean, it'd be a very long conversation because there's a lot to go over because there's a lot that's happened the last four years. And I doubt that Donald Trump would ever want to sit down with me. It's um, a deep hypothetical. I, you're more likely to uh, share a house with uh, Sonny Corleone and Magic Johnson and Mateen Cleaves, <laughs> I think. But I, I want to see right. if you do it. <laughs> because there, there's just a lot to be accountable for, even if for some reason he had some kind of come to Jesus moment where yeah. he is trying to change. But yeah, I mean, I, I would I would not, uh, even with no new PR team or no new public face, I would I would have... I would definitely sit down for an interview with Donald Trump, um, but I, I'm sure uh, I'm sure it would be must see TV in a lot of ways. And hopefully, I would just not, you know, resist the temptation to just be straight up yelling at him throughout all of it. <laughs> I'm sure you would, uh, <laughs> Jamel. Three out of four. Question number five. Your category is beer. I'm asking you this because of the spoof that you guys did of Boys in the Hood, which I thought was so good. Here we go. In the Boys in the Hood Domino's scene, Doughboy is drinking what brand of 40? <laughs> Welcome to 10 Questions, Jamal. Come on Damn. now. Okay, well, see, I have an answer. But because this is the beer that he champions, I just don't know if I'm trying to put the timeline together. Like, what's he... Was he a spokesperson for it then? And like, it would make too much sense for that to be his beer. There's only one answer I can. Oh, wait, hold up. It's another one. Jeez, it's one or two things. 
All right, I'm gonna just go with this. Pretzel. It what do you is because it's Saint Ides. She says Saint Ides. Is that right? It's Saint Ides. Oh, it's Saint Ides. All right. What was the other one? So the other, one, I thought I was like, was it Code Forty Five? That was the other one. I was. Yeah, but I was like, no, because Ice Cube, I remember when he very clearly when he was a spokesman for St. Ides. Yeah. So, yeah, and it got me to Doughboy try Boy drank St. Ides, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, you and Michael Smith, if people haven't seen it or didn't remember it, would do this series of spoofs. You, you did a Golden Girls one. You did yep. a Different World. You yep. did uh, Boys in the Hood. I look back on that Sports Center experience from a spectator. You and Michael, it looked like you had a ton of fun. It looked like from my perspective, you were doing things your way. What would you have done differently? So I'm glad you got that perspective or you got that impression because it was not that way. Um, okay. We had fun in pockets. I would not describe the Sports Center experience as fun. I mean, it's frankly, it's the worst job I had at ESPN. And okay. so, um, well, one, there was a lot of, we wanted to do things our way. But there was a lot of daily creative infighting and just even the launch. And it's a lot of things that would be done differently. And mostly, I think we should have listened to our gut more, especially when it came to assembling um, our team and um, assembling the team that would be around us. I mean, there are definitely a lot of people who we wanted to work with. We got a chance, but there was a couple key roles that I think we really should have been more stubborn about. And we allowed those roles to be picked for us. Mm -hmm. We didn't really have much choice. And so I think it just set us off on a bad tone. Um, and I, I mean, the number one thing would be, I, I'm not so sure somehow we would have, we should have tried harder to fit his and hers in there because the expectation of what people thought they were getting at six o'clock versus what they got was different. Um, so in the marketing, but totally changed that. I mean, they, the sports in a commercial, I just cringe every time I watch it or every time it comes up because they had us in these different costumes and the, the, the slogan on the commercial was music, movies, and more. Mm -hmm. We never did that. And so they had people thinking that they were going to, you know, we were going to be giving movie reviews and music critiques at six o'clock and we were a sports show. Yeah. And because of the spoofs, this is where the spoofs will have helped us and hurt us in terms of the marketing of how we were on SportsCenter. They love the spoofs. Um, and those all went viral and we had a great time doing yeah. them. But our show was so much more than that. Every day we talked about sports. 95% of the conversations were about sports, but it planted this idea in people's minds that we didn't talk about sports. And that was hard. That was a hard narrative to get from about of. And it just made... Um, a lot of things really uh, rough. I mean, I think we rushed on air. I mean, we ended his and hers in December. We started the show in, in February, the day after the Super Bowl, because they want to capitalize on the ratings um, that the Super Bowl brings. But I think we should have waited longer. I mean, you look at uh, Scott Van Pelt Sports Center, Get Up, like they all had months to come up with something. We had, we only had like four or five rehearsals. So there's a lot that should have been done differently in the beginning. And as we were evolving and when we finally were starting to figure out the show, we had a change in leadership and there's a lot of other stuff that happened. So it, yeah. it was uh, regrettably, um, you know, that experience was not what we anticipated it would be. And so it's only the worst because I just I just felt like we, we were never able to really present the best of ourselves because of so many other challenges we were having behind the scene. I know the feeling and I know a lot mm -hmm. went into it that we don't see. But at the very least, you did have a shout out to Cree Summer at one point, And she was always a crush <laughs> of mine. So I was a fan. <laughs> Jamel, you're four out of five. All right. Okay. You are cooking. Four out of five is great. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of cooking, let's go to question number six. Your category is cooking. Used to thicken sauces, a roux is made by mixing together flour and what? Oh, crap. That's not correct. <laughs> <laughs> and this is especially, especially hard because I know so many people from New Orleans. My co-host, my former co-host, you brought him up. Michael Smith is from New Orleans. If you make a bad roux for a gumbo, they literally will never talk to you again. Um, so flour, is it, I think it's called filet? I think that might be what it is. I have, honestly, I've never even attempted to make gumbo. So I'm like, I am just literally shooting a dart here. I'm going to say filet. Is that okay. it? Okay. Use the thickened sauces. A roux is made by mixing together flour and fat. 
fat. Oh. That is the answer here. Oh, crap. Mm, I did not know that. I bring up cooking, Jamel. Years ago when we used to be in green rooms and the sets of, of the Jim Roma's Burning Show we used to work on, you and I would have humorous conversations about the cookout, uh, which is something I've always loved. For anybody listening or watching, could you explain what the cookout is? Okay, so the cookout is just this magical black place. As yeah. in like Black people, we have cookouts, right? There is a difference, though, between a cookout and a barbecue. Okay. A barbecue actually has barbecue at it. A cookout is a little more loose. Like, you got burgers, you got dogs, maybe some chicken. I mean, like, it's just a little more loose. The cookout is it's just an idea. It's a concept. Because most of us grew up going to cookouts. And at the cookout, you know, you got your uncles, your aunties, you, you're playing dominoes, you're playing spades. Like, and so... Every, you know, we take the cookout seriously. And if you are invited to the cookout, that means you're in. We're embracing you, right? So when you hear us say that certain people, usually white people, are invited to the cookout, that means we have embraced them. They are one of us now. (laughs) Now, we got to start off slow because we can't trust you with bringing a potato salad, okay? You can start off by bringing the red solo cups, and that's how shit. it works. Yeah, like in a, in your family, when it's cookouts or barbecues, yeah, you they give you a minimal task first till you prove you could be trusted with bigger yep. things. Because if you bring some food that nobody likes, you may never get back to the cookout again. Okay, the red solo cups—that's like you're working in the mailroom at the cookout, and you got to work Correct. your way up. You got to work Jamel, your way up. If you were uh, working. Um, I don't know what, what would be the equivalent of the velvet rope at the cookout, like the the, the, the gate opening. If you were there, right. yep. I have some people, and I want to let I want you to tell me if they're invited to the cookout. Okay, Eminem. Yes, Eminem's invited to the cookout. Tom Brady at the cookout. I don't know. No I don't point. think so. Okay. I don't think Tom Brady's at the cookout level yet. This is a really interesting one pulled from the headlines. Jake Paul. Hell no. He ain't invited to the cookout. <laughs> Why? Somebody's got to be in charge of waking up Nate. What do you mean? <laughs> I, I've heard some interesting things about Jake Paul. Like, I didn't know this. Um, uh, a researcher on our show told me that he has one of the five most disliked videos on YouTube. Does he? Yeah, that's what, I, that's what, that's what we were told. I was like, what? Apparently... You know, another part of this this narrative of what happened in that fight is that there's a lot of people who really can't stand this kid. And so that's why I'm like, nah, he can't come because he might okay. disrupt like, you know, I don't know if that do would it. go well, but I, yeah. I think this one will. It's, it's interesting you bring up the red solo cup thing. I know that this next gentleman is in like he might be first ballot. I want you to tell me what job he would have at the cookout. Ooh, all right. Okay. You're going to love this one. Dirk Nowitzki. Oh, hell yeah, Dirk is coming. <laughs> Look, <laughs> Dirk is in, okay? We knew Dirk was invited to the cookout. I mean, not only did he marry a black woman, but when I saw him going to the NBA games with a foil-covered plate, I was mm. like, Dirk, you in there. Um, ooh, I don't know if we could trust him with any food, but he can okay. not only bring the red Solo cups, he can bring the aluminum foil, because that would make sense. He can bring some condiments, because wifey is the one, apparently, that got the cooking skills if he bring yeah. the plates to work. Yeah. It's just we don't know if he could cook. But you know what? An important job. I would put Dirk in charge of the liquor. That's an important job. Ooh. Dirk brings the Hennessy. <laughs> Dirk brings the Hennessy. There you go. Right. That's important. That, is that important. might be more important than, than the food. Who, what am I to say? But I do know if you Google Dirk Nowitzki drunk, it's pictures from 25 years ago of him and Steve Nash just hammered out at a bar. So I know he Perfect. parties. Perfect. Wow. He'd be the All perfect right. person to bring the Hennessy. I just want to be able to handle parking someday. Just, just I'll, I'll do anything. Just toss me the keys, whatever you want. I've always wanted to go. You, Question, I'll try. Question number seven. Jamel, you're four for six. All right. Okay. This is going to be great. This is the oh, fan geez. favorite, the staff favorite categories, everybody's favorite category. It's finish this lyric. I'm going to play for you a song. Okay. You're going to hear the singer or the rapper, whoever it is, the vocalist, stop. And he's going to sing a rap and it's going to stop. When okay. it stops, you have to finish the lyric. All mm-hmm. right? Here we go. I okay. guarantee you've heard this song, even if it was in a dentist's office. Finish this lyric. After all, I knew it had to be something to do with you. I really don't mind what happens now and then. As long as you'll be my friend at the end. If I go crazy, then will you still call me? 
crazy. Will you still call well, me? If I go crazy, will you still call me? Call me? All right. I think I do know. Okay. We got something. I think I do know. I think I do know. Okay. Because the song, the chorus sound sounded somewhat familiar. If I go crazy Is now, it, will you still will call, you still call me? me? And then I'm trying to think of, yeah, I think I have heard this song. Because okay. I was like, that voice sounds really familiar. All right. There's thousands this, of white boys screaming the lyric right now. <laughs> I know. Go. Is it? Is it Superman? I'm going to play it. And here we go. If I go crazy, then will you still call me? You made me sweat. <laughs> Jamel, you got it. If I we used to call me Superman. Yeah. I was like, hold up. I think I know this voice. I was like, is that, is it, was it three doors down? Three doors damn down. Yes. Okay. I know some white people. Oh what's my gosh. Of, what's, what's your version of the cookout? <laughs> Jamel, the, you were, uh, you were invited to the tractor pull. And uh, you can you can pour the uh, the Captain Morgan. I don't know what we drink. You can pour the uh, the White Claw, appropriately the named white, the White Claw. There you go, Jamel. I remember you were one of the first people I ever saw on ESPN and do this. Like I remember your wardrobe one day. You wore a Wolverine shirt, and it wasn't the Michigan Wolverines. It was the Wolverine like Logan. And I thought that was so like rock and roll. And I don't know how it went for you. I don't know if they liked that, but I did. What do you remember about that? Why'd you do that? Well, um, because I always wondered why on TV, you know, I believe they're kind of breaking the rules probably because I didn't know any better. But yeah. I always wondered, you, you know, why people weren't a little bit more casual. Because, I mean, we're not talking about saving babies from burning buildings. I mean, we're talking <laughs> about sports, right? And I do think the tone of the show, you know, matters. Like um, on some of the shows I did at ESPN, especially they were more fun and lighthearted. And it just would have been silly to act as if, you know, we're performing surgery or something. So uh, and then I was I was always into comic books, uh, love comic book movies, big Marvel fan. And uh, it just kind of it just kind of fit. Wolverine was one of my favorites uh, growing, uh, comics to read growing up that and Avengers and Silver Surfer. And so that was me letting my true blurred show black nerd. <laughs> so if if we're going back in your quarantine house and it's you and James Caan and Mateen Cleaves and Magic Johnson and you can only watch one superhero movie for the whole quarantine, what are you picking? Woo! You know what? What do you got? Mm. Damn, I'm like, should I do this for the culture and pick Black Panther or should I? Honestly, I think I think it'd probably be Captain America Civil War. Oh, no Which kidding. Is, and the one with yeah. the airport battle and all that. Okay, yep, I love that I think one. it might be that one. Yeah, because that was actually an undercover Avengers movie, if you think about it. But that's where you get, at least I get a lot of the, the characters that I love in that one because, of you know, it's the Civil War, right? And so I just thought that movie was so well done. Should always be in the conversation for the best Marvel movie. It, it was either going to be Civil War or um or Endgame because I don't think I've ever had an experience in a theater like I had in Endgame. And it was... Tremendous because I got to go to the premiere. And so, oh, no way. When, yeah, I went to the, the Hollywood premiere. And so, when the characters started coming back at, at the end, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> then everybody, the I've never been to a movie that felt like a sporting event and yeah. like the applause, people were on their feet. It was insane. I mean, Ryan Coogler, who directed Black Panther, was practically running down the aisles. Like it was insane. So, that is a movie experience I will never forget. And every time I watch Endgame, it's like I'm transported back to that moment. Here's where we're at for the final three questions. You're five of seven, which mm -hmm. means your highest possible score is an eight out of 10, which would tie our all-time high mark, okay? Right, right, right. And I'm going to try to give you something. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Question number eight, the category, it's this television program. It's called The Wire. In season one of The Wire, Omar reveals to Bunk that he remembers him as an athlete in high school. What sport did Bunk play? I know this. I know this. I know this. It's a good question. I'm proud of it. it is, no, it is a good question because it's, I mean, I know the, the, the obvious that people are going to say or going to think, and especially given the fact that it's, I feel like I'm not making this up in my mind, too. Um, 
though? We use that yeah, I know. question. I, I feel like that you need to to create another one. <laughs> like, can you can we get a lifeline going, man? Like, nope, nope. <laughs> you cannot phone a friend. You cannot call Carrie Champion right now. I feel like I'm not making this up because I'm trying to think. Like, am I just imagining this or am I making this up? But I feel like it was lacrosse. Is that your answer? This is my answer. She says lacrosse. Is she right? Unbelievable. Yes. You're right again. You are I on knew it. Fire. I was like, it was something weird. <laughs> Get her the ball. She got three doors down. She had a little uh, trouble with the Rue, but she got lacrosse, and this is unbelievable. All right, Jamel, you also do a show with Van Lathan called Way Down in the Hole. Let's say The Wire never happened. The exact show, as it's written, produced, and filmed, comes out this weekend. It premieres mm-hmm. Sunday night on HBO. Mm-hmm. What's the reaction? Oh, I, I think it's a it's a smash success. The yeah. One, the, yeah, because The Wire, it never got its due. It never got its flowers. Um, and I know there's a lot of polarizing opinions about season two. Season two is the highest rated season they had. Right. Um, and season two gets unnecessarily shit on. Like, it really is brilliant. The, the one that deserves the criticism is five, in my opinion. But. Yeah, I mean, because it ages so well. I mean, hell, one of the drugs they were selling on the street was called Pandemic. I mean, it was like, yeah, and the conversations about sex trafficking, um, that was basically what season two was about, about other issues that are now things that we pay more attention to. I think The Wire, there's no way that show doesn't get an Emmy nomination Mm -hmm. because nobody won an Emmy for that show, you know, Mm -hmm. previously. Like, so I, I think, I think that the way, we consume television, um, the type of television that has been successful. I think The Wire would be a huge success in 2020. You know, the term I always use to describe it for people who haven't seen it, I, I, I say this, it, I, it's a slow burn. You, you are not going to have the immediate, and that would be my concern. Certainly respected, but you got these shows now, you know, The Mandalorian, The British Baking Company. It's like every six <laughs> seconds, something incredible happens. It's so, there's so much gratification where, like you go two and a half episodes sometimes on the wire and it's smart and it's slick as hell, but you know, nobody gets killed or there's no chase scene or anything. And I worry that especially people who watch it now, who like go back and watch it for the first time that they're going to be like, I'm bored. This is tedious. This is slow because it, it does feel a little bit like being in a class. Like I learned so much from it, but sometimes the class was a little boring if you have today's standards. Yeah, I guess maybe now because I see people like into something like, say, Lovecraft Country or some of the other shows that, you know, frankly, are a little slow. I mean, I know it's hard. I mean, because when you have like a Game of Thrones where somebody's getting offed every 10 minutes, that it's not as. Yeah, exactly. It's not as psychologically, um, you know, stimulating for people. But I, I, I it feels like people are a little bit more into storytelling and because of everything else happening in our society. That's the thing that I think would get The Wire a lot of juice now. I mean, we're having conversations about police brutality now. The Wire was having them then, yep. right? The entire, the way they look at the dysfunction in the police department is a very relevant topic now. So I feel like the relevancy would make people appreciate the show more now than they did then. Snoop and Chris, always, always yeah. relevant. And Bubs yeah, always. Depot, all the best. <laughs> all right, Jamel, six out of eight, two questions left. Here's what we're looking at. If you get both of these, you are tied with Joel McHale and Pat Oswalt for the highest score in the history of the show. If you okay. miss them both, you're kind of in the middle of the pack. And question right. number nine, breakfast cereal. Breakfast okay. cereal. Okay. Okay. The cereal Honey Smacks. Its mascot is a frog. What is the frog's name? Oh, crap. I'm like, did I, did I eat Honey Smacks as a kid? Uh, you know, um, it, it's what's crazy is that when I was growing up, my mother did not let me have sugar cereals. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so I lived, I didn't get to experience like really having um sugar cereals until I got to college like when you had to go to the dorm and then in the calf they have everything so I felt so lame because like the first time I tried uh, Captain Crunch um, it was like a life changing experience especially the first time I had a crunch berry it was like holy shit did you did you have to grow up with those because there was that certain species of cereal that's like sugar adjacent like I ate a lot of kicks K-I-X as a kid yes I I did kicks were good but it wasn't cinnamon toast crunch 
Yeah, life, life cereal. Yeah, a lot one. of life. Mikey likes it. All that yeah. shit. <laughs> okay. All right. So the Honey Smacks Frog. Honey Smacks um, Frog is named what? Okay, because I think I remember this being said because I'm I'm remembering like some of the commercials and some of the advertisements that I saw. Um, was it? Um, not Diggum, like Diggum, Diggum Frog or something. Say it again. Like Diggum. Diggum. Yeah, like Diggum Frog. It was some weird name, like yeah, like Diggum Frog or whatever. Because I confused him with the uh, the WB dude. <laughs> Uh, I like I was like double, wait double, 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 WB. WB, right exactly. <laughs> so you that's not Diggum though. You're saying this this the Honey Specs frog was named Diggum. I think it was like Diggum. You're right. This is crazy. Oh, you're doing unbelievably. And Jamel, you I, I, I don't even know if you know the answer immediately and then you're acting for drama's sake, but you're always flummoxed and then you come up with it. I'm I'm blown away right now. You're doing because so well. Because I have well. to think. Not I have to be like but- transport myself back to that time and be like, I think it was just something I so I almost said like dude, I knew it was M in it, like something M and I'm like, yeah. what is that dude's name? All right. It's the Whew. stupidest name. It makes no sense. And yet you nailed yeah. it. Diggum. Why am I asking you about that? The first podcast I ever listened to was Serial uh, about the, the poor girl who got murdered. Serial, yeah. Serial. You also have your own on Spotify, on the spot. Jamel Hill is unbothered. Why did you choose that title, Jamel? Uh, it just represented a station I was in in my life. Um, just unbothered doesn't mean you don't care about things. But I think... This comes with getting older, Kyle, as I'm sure you understand on some level, is that there are certain things that you don't care about that you might have obsessed about 10 or 15 years ago. And, you know, you have a complete comfort in who you are. Um, You know, you're confident, your outlook on life, you feel just very secure. And because of that, you're just unbothered by um, feeling as if you always have to, um, you know, fit in in a certain way or that you always... um, you know, there's always somebody or something that you're worried about what the reaction will be. And so now it's like, I don't worry. And I think that was, you know, probably one of the positives of going through all that controversy with Donald Trump is that if that's the, that's probably the worst I will experience in terms of, you know, people criticizing me and that kind of thing. And once I got through that, it was just like, it really didn't matter. Like their opinions and whatever and criticisms, they didn't really matter. So I was just, it allowed me to be able to take criticism even better. And so I just got to a point where I was just like kind of unbothered. And I like people who have that kind of with the way they approach life and how they talk about issues who have that same kind of mentality. And so some of the guests are really thoughtful. Um, They're about truth. They're about keeping it real. Um, But they're also about having a certain amount of vulnerability because that's how you are able to own your mistakes. Like the easiest thing for me to do is apologize. The easiest thing to do. And I think when you're younger or just as you're maturing, you worry about what it makes you look like. And I worry less about what things make me look like. I'm, you know, I'm trying to be honest. You know what I'm saying? So and part of that means being unbothered. I'm not perfect by any stretch of means, uh, stretch of means. You know, I can I can get into my own ego as much as somebody else. But um, the truth is, like, I think, you know, what happens is, you know, you get to a certain age and you you start unlearning a lot of your behaviors and it makes you, um, you know, feel very confident and have such a strong sense of yourself. So this represents me having the strongest sense of self I've ever had in my career, in my life. Sometimes the people who tell you that they're unbothered are actually the most bothered and they do that <laughs> to put up a shield and yeah. that's their, that's their vibranium. Jamel, do you ever have a moment like a, I know that you you're very hardened and you're very tough and you're very educated over all these years. Do you ever have a moment where it's maybe it's your mentions or maybe it's something you run into where you just break and you, and you need to sit down on the curb or you need to be by yourself for a while? Cause you always have this, this image of, of toughness and I, I'm not literally your show is called that you're not mm-hmm. bothered. You must get bothered sometimes. Oh, hell yeah. I get bothered by a lot of stuff. It's funny because the podcast is called Jamel Hill is unbothered, but on on the podcast, I do a segment every podcast called Fuck It, I'm Bothered. So about the things that <laughs> actually great. do. Bo- right. So I do the inverse. So then I'm like, yo, I'm bothered about this. And this this really upsets me. But um, no, I mean, I, I think that there are there are things that um, definitely, you know, um, upset me. I mean, look, the, the way that Sports Center ended, for example, um, there are certain things about that that will never sit right with me, even now. And 
yeah, I mean, they, they will never, they never will. And so, um, you know, I, I mean, just, I think the main, the main thing that won't sit right with me is when people look at our time there and, and they, they call us failures. Um, I, I won't accept that. Did we do what we were supposed to do? No, but I won't accept the fact that we're failures. And also the fact that, you know, we didn't get to, you know, do these, do certain things on our own terms. We didn't get to leave our own way, you know? And so that's going to always, you know, kind of bother me. And so, yeah, I do have those moments of reflection where I'm like, you know, I, I wish this would have turned out differently. I don't necessarily believe in regrets because I do think even when you make mistakes and even when things don't go as well, you do get to another place that you should be, um, whether it be a, a different frame of, frame of mind, whether you learn from your mistakes or whether, frankly, it pushes you further having gone through something that you didn't expect or didn't quite work out. So I believe in the power of that. I remember Kobe Bryant once told me that there was no such thing as failure, and I thought he was trying to pull a Jedi mind trick on me, but he was right. Um, he said, you know, if you don't aren't successful on Monday, you know what happens Tuesday, you do it again. Mm-hmm. So it's like that failure never is able to like kind of set in. So um, that's kind of what, the way I look at it. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's tons of things that, that definitely bother me, not just about like current events or world issues or the fact that some days it felt like this whole country was on fire <laughs> kind of feels that way now to some yeah. degree. <laughs> Those things of course bother me from a citizenship standpoint and being a member of the society. But um, you know, there's certainly relationships I've had and things that I've done where I'm just like, I really wish I could have been a different person. So when that when that happened. So so yes, there's a lot. I I I tell I described this recently to a friend of mine as we were discussing a situation. I either feel none of the things or all of the things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one or the other. I'm not in between. I don't feel 30% of them is like zero or a hundred. You're gonna get one of those. <laughs> Hundred percent of the things are when you feel when you do the fuck it I'm bothered segment, which brings us perfectly to question number ten. This is something that is bothersome and polarizing for everyone. Question number ten, Jamel, as you sit at seven out of nine, it's always the same category. It's the essay category. Essay okay. meaning in this sense, I have found and searched and procured a take of yours from the oh, past. <laughs> I'm going to present you a said take. Okay. You have the floor, ten seconds, thirty seconds, whatever you want. To defend that take, if I'm convinced of your essay, you get the point. If I remain unconvinced, you get bubkiss. Here okay. is question number 10 for Jamel Hill in the essay category. Jamel, in 2017, the year of our Lord, you tweeted, <laughs> the person in the middle gets the armrests. The floor is yours. <laughs> This was, I have to say, when I tweeted that, I did not expect it to be so many polarizing opinions, right? So here's my thing. You're in the middle, right? The person, the two people sitting that are bracketing you have an arm rest, okay? Giving you one is not a big deal. You should have an arm rest. They're tech, it's like one, two, three, four. Like, you should get one. It's four potential arm rests. They don't need four, all four between the two on the outside. You should get one. You should get the one that's closest to the window. That one like between you and the next person, that should be yours. Because they got one next to the window, right? The person that's on the end by the aisle, they got one. It's by the aisle. So why can't you get some arm-rest love? You, that's just hogging it. It is well said. It's obviously passionate. I mean, Jamel, we've we've talked about uh, the president, the state of the world, and I, I think we have more passion here about the middle seat armrest than anything else. And yet, you're absolutely fundamentally wrong. I no point. You sit in the middle. Listen, you didn't book the seat in time. You didn't jump on for the early seat assignment check-in. You don't get shit in the middle. You sit there with your elbows on your hips for the whole four-hour flight and love it. I know we're looking for a middle in this country, Jamel. Everything's left and right. We would love a middle. That ain't the middle we want. No point for you. But Jamel, you finished the 10 questions. You have finished it with a sterling, sterling 7 out of 10. How do you feel? I feel like I was robbed. Because, (laughs) look, because... Kyle is a coastal elite, and he just sent me. He just oh, that's me. good. All right, he's a coastal elite, and I feel like I feel like I didn't. I wasn't given a fair chance, but it's okay. It's your show. It's all right. I understand. Listen, 
You don't remember that middle seat struggle? I get it. Like, you Kyle Brandt now. I get it. You don't remember that struggle. Some of us remember that struggle, trying to get that armrest. That's who I am. <laughs> you got a lot of takes, my friend. And you know uh, breakfast cereal frogs. And you know all kinds of cool stuff. But we can continue to debate the middle seat. There will be no point. Seven out of ten. Huge points, though, for everything Jamel has going on, including Carrie and Jamel won't stick to sports Thursday on Vice. Jamel Hill is unbothered, which includes a segment where she says, fuck it, I am bothered. Uh, way down in the hole. She writes for The Atlantic. She's incredible, unbelievably talented. Jamel, you're still so young, and I feel like you've already like been to hell and back. And you know what I mean? Like, what Not a life. Hell, it's incredible. <laughs> and at some point, uh, she says that I might be able to make a cameo at the cookout, and she's always welcome at the tractor pull. I don't know Jamel, now, man. you're the best. Jamel Hill, <laughs> 7 out of 10. Incredible job. Thank you so, so, so much. Uh, last thing, uh, a call-out. Every episode ends with a call-out. You have to think in your mind of some public figure you know who would do well in this show and could compete for your seven points. Like McConaughey called out uh, Woody Harrelson. Aaron mm. Rodgers called out James Holzhauer from Jeopardy. Someone mm. who you know who you're like, this person has to come on at 10 questions and try to take down my seven out of 10. Who you got? Ooh, who do I have that I think could do this? Um, I think uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez could. Oh, okay. Well, how come? How, how, I think she, she would. On? I think she would. I could see her doing ten out of ten. Talk to her I right now. See, Tell her. All right. So listen, AOC. Um, I think you're the perfect person to come on ten questions. Your wealth of knowledge is not just about policy. It's not just about. Um, you know, different legislative items. I've seen you on Jesus and Miro. You are very in tune with pop culture. I feel like with your background, the combination of humble beginnings, being a bartender, where you pick up a lot of useless knowledge, right? And now being a politician, you have the perfect combination to rock this show. So you got to come on. I think AOC would kill this. Incredible. That's a great recommendation. She's watching right now and be like, yeah, I'm going to go on. He's going to ask me to name Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Why, why would I do that show? <laughs> I bet she would have got the Diggum question. I bet she would have. Yeah, you got to go to your grave with Diggum because that was really, really good. And of course, so were you, Jamel Hill, an old friend. I hope I'm friends with you for the next 50 years because I have a lot of admiration for you. You are the best. We will see you next time on 10 Questions. All right. Thanks, Katie. Ten Questions with Kyle Brandt is a co-production by Spotify and The Ringer. The show is produced by Richie Bozek, Jason Gallagher, Noah Malale, Steve Allman, and Jackson Safan. Our theme song is by Matt Schiltz and Bobby Lord. Additional sound design by Bobby Lord. 